this is not a certain existence. It's not a straight line. Lots of peaks and valleys, probably more valleys than peaks, really. And uh, love of art and craft and persistence are what see you through. And also, as Seamus, you know, in a very eloquent way said, you know, walk on air, you know, be optimistic, think, imagine, dream. Welcome to the Archipelago Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Morton. When Joel McNally moved to New York City in 1976, his first job was at the Daily News as a copyboy. He was earning the lowest pay grade possible and living in a cheap hotel in Manhattan. Life was not glamorous, but with a fierce drive and an eye for a picture and a willingness to take almost any assignment that came his way, Joe stepped out onto the always precarious tightrope of the freelance photographer and never looked back. Fast forward 40 years and his work has included assignments and stories for National Geographic, Time, Life, Sports Illustrated, and more. He's traveled for assignments to nearly 70 countries and received dozens of awards for his photography. In Joe's new book, The Real Deal, we're presented with a collection of candid field notes, some short, some long, gathered over time that together become an intimate look behind the scenes at a photographer who has pretty much seen and done it all. Today, I have the great honor and pleasure of chatting with Joe McNally, who's just released a new book called The Real Deal, Field Notes from the Life of a Working Photographer. Joe, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast today. Appreciate the invitation. Thanks very much. Listen, Joe, this book really has it all. I mean, how it all started, there's stories, there's lessons, there are insights you've collected along your way. It's really an intimate look behind the scenes of a photographer that's pretty much seen and done it all. You know, it really isn't your typical photo book. It really feels like a glimpse into a world that few people know, and really from a perspective, even fewer could have experienced. Yeah, that's not uh, that's not off the mark at all. You know, it's uh, my editor Ted Waite, who's a wonderful editor, and I. You know, we kept talking as I kept writing, and we kept organizing the book. And it's a process, as you know. And and we kept asking each other, what exactly is this book? It's not an instructional, uh, though. There's a lot of instruction in it. Mm-hmm. There's education and information. Uh, it's not really autobiographical completely because, you know, I tell the stories not uh, to a degree about my life, but also, you know, a lot about the pictures themselves. And, you know, the the pictures are the engine driving mm-hmm. particular stories, those kinds of things. So it's um, lots of photo books are out there now, have lots of instruction and they're fantastic and they have an objective. Yeah. Like here, you, here you're going to use Photoshop better when you finish this book. Yeah. And that's like a super highway to a piece of information. And uh, Ted and I finally came to the conclusion, this is more of a country road. It's a meander through the life of a working photographer, the ups and downs and sideways of it. Yeah, I really love that. You know, and I think stories are so important and stories are 
a way we we connect as humans. So it's really fascinating. You know, I mean, you share so many experiences in this book, right? Like, you know, it's it's the the dirty, the 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 pain, the the laughter, the wins, and and the failures too. Yeah, um, so much today is written about the technology of photography and cameras, uh, and and that's very worthwhile and pertinent because the technology keeps advancing and it's amazing. But for me, at the end of the day. Uh, being a photographer has always been about human relationships and what you experience in the field. And again, not all positive, you know, sometimes you fail, sometimes things don't go well, Yeah. but the rewarding part about being a photographer is the humanity you encounter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you really take us on a journey. It's, it's quite incredible. And, you know, I mean, we're talking from the very beginning, you know, your first job, as a copy yeah. boy at the Daily News, and even how you got that job, your your mom's neighbor Chuck, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, who knew? I mean, life turns on you know unpredictable axes sometimes, you know, and and uh, who knew that Chuck and his and his rose garden would be significant in my life? <laughs> That's hilarious. And uh, you know, one one of my favorite parts is is how you take us right back to your your first little apartment, overlooking the Beacon Theater. Uh, you know, and then your studio apartment and you, you said you paid like 250 bucks a month. I got to ask if you could pay $250 a month now to live in New York city, but it had to be that apartment overlooking the beacon. Would you do it? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that was a time and a place in my life that, uh, was necessary, yeah. but not, uh, willingly repeated. <laughs> right. You know, and speaking of apartments, uh, you even share a little story related to your apartment of how you actually got your first Leica M4. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, it was places broken into, and the gang at the photo studio was very kind. And I still have it. It sits in a drawer about 10 feet away from where I'm sitting right now. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, listen, I mean, obviously, those were different times back then. Um, and you kind of went on a a bit of a journey from your, your time at, at the daily news to working for the wire service. And it sounds like a lot of that was a little bit of trial by fire. And what, you know, what, what were probably some of the biggest lessons that you learned that you, you, your, were your takeaway from working for the wire services? Well, photographically, you know, a, a wire service photographer has to be extremely economical. Uh, you can't shoot yards and yards of film. You're looking for a picture or a couple of pictures, and speed is of the essence. Get your presence. Get those pictures on the wire. In my instance, I was shooting a lot for the UPI, and one of our big missions was to beat the AP. Yeah. You know, it was very competitive. Yeah. Uh, so you learn to try to be incisive when you got the camera in your hands and not just blow through frames. Spray and pray is not the method for a wire service photographer. You have to really, really hone in on the nature of the story. And so that was an important lesson. Yeah. And also, too, just the, the bruising nature of it, the, the criticism, you know, that you had to withstand because if you let the side down, yeah. Uh, if you blew a coverage, then, you know, clearly they didn't, they had a hole in their, in their coverage and it, an important story can go under illustrated or not at all because you blew it. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's, there's many, many little anecdotal stories about some of the, some of the harsh, harsh criticism that you had to endure. And, um, yeah, I think there were different times in terms of the way, 
employers and <laughs> treated their staff back then for sure. Oh, very different. <laughs> you wouldn't do those things nowadays. Yeah. It would be a one-way ticket to human resources. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, you've, and you know, the other thing is you've, you've met so many incredible photographers on your journey, really, a, you know, who's, who's list Gordon Parks. And, you know, you mentioned Mary Ellen Mark and Jay Mizell, who, it's probably a tough question, but you know, who, who would you say has inspired you the most? Wow. That's a, that is a tough question, you know, because inspiration comes in many, you know, shapes and packages and yeah. forms, you know, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm very inspired by a dear friend of mine, David Burnett, who is a wonderful photojournalist, been so for many years. I've known David probably now for 40 years yeah. and we're both uh, on in our years, but there we were together in Tokyo uh, covering the 2021 games, you know, and, you know, David and I, you know, uh, just kind of look at each other and shrug. It's like, yeah. this is what we know how to do. So we keep doing it. <laughs> and, and imagine he's still using the same camera he was 40 years ago, too. Well, David is amazing like that. David is a camera collector yeah. and user. And so you've got, you know, 100 plus photographers out there at an Olympics at the finish line. And they're all shooting high speed motor driven cameras, technology, amazing, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And David's there with a four by five speed graphic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so, and the thing is, he beats him. Yeah, <laughs> you know? That's right. He, he comes up with significant images, yeah. and uh, it's wonderful to watch. Yeah. Who, who are your heroes, Joe? Oh, many across the board, really. Photographic or life heroes? Uh, it does any, any, anyway. Well, you know, um, my, my teacher in, in uh, photo school, Fred Demarest, who I acknowledge in the front of the book, yeah is one of my heroes. He's just an incredibly decent man. And I, I have a great reverence for teaching and I do a fair amount of teaching now. Mm -hmm. So I can draw that line straight back to Fred and how inspiring he was in terms of helping shape not only my photographic qualities, but also my qualities as a human being, yeah. you know, so that was, I mean, you know, he, Fred is gone now and probably not that many people, you know, remember him. He wasn't famous or anything like that. You know, I mean, I could say all all sorts of, you know, famous, you know, people who are, sure. have provided me with inspiration. I just wrote a blog about Michelle Yeoh. I worked with Michelle and she's now being touted for um, an Academy Award. And, and yeah. you know, and, and the blog today tells the story of how we flew in the air together underneath a helicopter and also how she kicked me. Um, <laughs> I asked her to, I asked her to kick me because I said, I, I want to know what it's like to, you know, feel like in a stunt in a movie, you know, like <laughs> she was like, Joe, you, you don't want me to kick you, but she did. And uh, I felt it. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, there's, there's one part that I really thought was really quite fascinating. So let, let's talk about it. Let's talk about confidence. Is I think in the book you wrote, um, there was a quote, I think, from Robert Hughes, the greater the artist, the greater the doubt. And, and in the book, according to you, the pet, you, you mentioned that the pesky demons of uncertainty don't go away. Mm. Yeah, no, I think it's true. I mean, and I write personally, this is true of me. Maybe there's some folks out there who take a camera in their hands and they're like, yeah, I got this, you know. <laughs> um, and certainly on location, you have to express confidence. Yeah. You have to be certain, you know, and forthcoming and, you know, lead by example. 
But interior, whew, yeah, I just did a big production where I had seven talent in front of the lens and I had a light and a scenario from front to back. It was very complicated. And I, I lost sleep over that. You know, yeah. I kept chewing on it for two weeks prior to the shot. Yeah. You know, so it never really leaves you. Anxiety is part, I think, of the creative process. Yeah, so true. So true. Listen, you went to school as a writer and, and in the book, there's... There's one line I really love. You say, having wandered off long ago into the photographic woods, I think of light as a language. What do you mean by that? Uh, very, very much that. Uh, it's a language we speak with. Uh, the original root of the word photography, photographos, comes from the Greek, which means to write with light. And... I think that light is one of our greatest communication tools. I mean, everybody says, oh, it's beautiful light. Oh, it's sunset light or it's this or that. Mm -hmm. I think light has really powerful emotions associated with it. And if you craft the right light for the right subject, yeah. I think you add layers of meaning to the, to the actual picture. Yeah, absolutely. And you also say window light's a gift. Oh, boy. Yeah, I could, I could work with window light like crazy, you know. Um, has nothing to do with the fact that I, I've been in lots of pubs in my time, you know, in England, you know. <laughs> you know, but the soft light of an English pub, you know, um, yeah. it's, it's wonderful. Uh, you know, it's graceful and it falls very, very gently like a feather. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk to you about access. Because you, you, you've got qu quite a fair bit of, uh, in this book talking about access and, you know, about being, <laughs> and, there's, and uh, Joe, there's some great, yeah, I mean, you really are a fantastic writer. You, you say you, you have to be politely bullheaded and also have a positive attitude undimmed by obstacle. Yeah, yeah, um, because I, I swear there are legions of people who whose job description is to say no to photographers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we run into that word a great deal. Can I stand over there? No. Can I climb that building? No. Um, can I, you know, whatever it might be, rules, regulations. And I get it, you know, um, uh, and sometimes not. I don't get it. You know, it's, it's just plain stupid. But, um, yeah, access is everything. If you can't get your camera in a crucial place to observe properly, mm -hmm. then you're dead in the water. Yeah. And sometimes it's quote unquote easy, you know, you're out maybe photographing a parade or something, walking along, you know, this and that. Uh, though lots of parades now have credentials that you have to apply for, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, if you are shut down and shut off, then you're really no good to anybody. You know, because you can't observe that which you came to observe. Yeah, and and in that in that bit about access, you you also talk about some very important people, and that is as fixers. Yes, fixers are um, a fixture, if you will, on the landscape of a photojournalist. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I indicated in the book, the National Geographic. Uh, had a legendary core of fixers out there and yeah. photographers would access them when they drop into a country. You, you don't know the terrain. You don't know the language. Uh, you have a limited time on station. And so you have to make the most of that. So you really need to liaison with somebody who can get you in, get you that access, mm -hmm. talk their way through things, uh, know who to apply 
for a permit, you know, know the office, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you want somebody who's on a first name basis with uh, people who can, you know, rule on whether you go here or not go there, you know. And so that is a very, very crucial component of success in the field that you have uh, a good fixer or someone who can smooth the way. You, you know, you, you've really been all over. Uh, have you ever been scared on a job? Sure. Sure. You know, I've been, um, um, terribly frightened sometimes, you know, when I'm uh, not really prepared for something or, you know, uh, it's a mix of, of fears, right? You feel failure, yeah. you know, you you definitely, you know, don't want to fail. So that's a fear. Uh, you want to, to, uh, do well, uh, you oftentimes get yourself into situations where you look around and say, this wasn't all that smart, you know? <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I went into Mogadishu and I flew in on a Red Cross plane. I had make, made arrangements with a fixer in uh, Mogadishu to come pick me up. This was after the Black Hawk Down 93, um, you know, uh, battle that, that had occurred and the ongoing American involvement. And so I went to Mogadishu and the Red Cross plane dropped me off on the desert, you know, north of Moog mm -hmm. and then turned around and flew away. And just this dot in the desert. And I'm sitting on an old Halliburton case out there in the desert. And I'm completely alone. And I'm wow. like, this might not have been the smartest thing I've ever done. <laughs> but, you know, about an hour and a half later, I saw dust trails and, and uh, Mohammed and, and his guys came and picked me up and got me across the, uh, across the line in, uh, in uh, Moog and down into his, he ran a hotel called the Sahafi, which is Arabic for journalist. <laughs> wow. You know, you, you mentioned something there, too, about the fear of failures, but there's definitely been some failures. In the book, you talk about something, you, I think you called it the year of the big stupid. I think there was, <laughs> there was one assignment in particular you, you talked about, you know, where you spent $25,000 of a Sports Illustrated budget, and, and they didn't use a single image. Yeah, that can happen. Um, and sometimes it's not your fault, quote unquote, in this instance it was, but for instance, budgets were such back in the day that you could go on assignment for time in Newsweek on a, uh, assigned to do a cover, but you inst immediately knew that there were several other covers being shot simultaneously. Yeah. You know, a big magazine like time isn't going to say put all their eggs in one basket. Yeah. You know, they're going to have multiple things going on. So oftentimes, even though you would do well, yeah. Uh, your pictures would never see the light of day. Yeah. In that instance, it was just, I, I just didn't uh, fire up on the job, at least to the satisfaction of Sports Illustrated. Yeah. You know, this book, of course, has a healthy mix of, of technical stuff about gear, and and that's that's something we, we kind of expect from you, and, and we love, you know, coming from you is, is how you break down the technical side of shoots, but there's a lot about imagination. So tell me, what's more important, gear or imagination? Imagination. <laughs> and then the gear to facilitate that imagination. There's, yeah, there's yeah. no substitute for the right tools. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No substitute. Especially now in this digital age. You know, back in the day, if, if, I, had, if I was at a football game and I had an F3 and somebody showed up next to me with an F4, eh, you know. No big deal, really. Maybe faster frame rate and this and that, a little sleeker camera. Uh, you know, we're still shooting film, 
you know? Yeah. And we're still manually focusing and all of that. Yeah. But now you show up at an Olympics, you know, and you've got, you know, a D3200 and the photographer next to you has got a D6. Well, they have a significant advantage. Yeah. So you do have to have the right tools. There's yeah. no getting away from it. But you, the, it's the, again, the question really comes down to um, this is an art and a craft. Mm-hmm. And the craft supports the art and the art springs from your imagination. There's, there's so many great stories that, that go into this idea of, of imagination. I mean, you say, you know, your imagination is the cow in the kitchen <laughs> or, and, and, and to remain unafraid of your imagination. And, and there's another line where you say, sometimes I see better when my eyes are closed. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're seeking pictures in the realm of your head, you know, and, and, uh, my most valuable time on some days anyway, is when I put my feet up and just stare out the window. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's great. I mean, you really peel back again, coming back to the, the wonderful stories you're telling the, the behind the scenes. So you're peeling back the curtain on so many of these images, these iconic images, you know, and, and speaking of cows, I mean, the cow in the kitchen is a great example of that, you know, and you know how they had to put the calf in the kitchen to, to lure the mama cow into peeking <laughs> in through the door. And, and the, the, you know, the hilarious bit about the, and I quote here, the dexterous capabilities of a cow's tongue. <laughs> yes. Yes. I was unaware being a city kid, you know, the farmers had themselves a really good laugh at my expense. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I guess she, what she turned her head towards you and you reached out your hand out and <laughs> yeah, she came into the kitchen like a cow is, very strong. Yeah. And, and, uh, and she looked at me cause my flash went off, you know, just too brightly. And she looked at me and I foolishly <laughs> viewed her as a large pet, you know? And so I, I reached out my hand and she just grabbed a hold of my hand and slurped her tongue, like just, a, you know, around, you know, Oh my God. And I was like, and I'm, you know, I want to put it back on the camera, but it's dripping cow saliva <laughs> and the farmers are laughing, you know, I think somebody gave me a towel and, yeah. and, uh, um, yeah, no, but she was good. She was a good mom. She wanted to know what was going on with her baby and, yeah. and she, um, on, you know, on cue really stuck her head in the kitchen and I got a picture that is by all, you know, sensibilities, silly, you know, mm-hmm. but fun. And, uh, your imagination has to play your, you have to, uh, you know, seek, you know, not only, you know, serious stuff, you know, serious stories, what motivates you, but you also, I think have to seek visual pleasure, enjoyment. Yeah. We, we definitely see that in a lot of your work for sure. Let me ask, what do you resonate with as a photographer? And by that, I mean, what makes you want to put the camera to your eye and what, you know, what gives you butterflies in your stomach when you're out working? Well, you know, as, as a general response to that, it would be human beings. I've always resonated with human beings. I'm not much of a landscape photographer. I'm certainly no good at still life when I, I wouldn't last as a still life photographer. So I'm absolutely uh, compelled by humanity and people and who they are and what they do. I have a really, really uh, active uh, sense of curiosity, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I do resonate with that. Uh, I, beyond that, I resonate with, with juxtaposition. I like oddity. Yeah. Uh, I, and I love dance. I love, I always tell young photographers, always try to find something early in your career, if you can, that you feel is so beautiful 
you can't help but photograph it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and for me, that's been the world of ballet, which I started in very informally and have over time, it's become part, a substantial part of our archive. And uh, so I find beauty and juxtaposition. Uh, we just did a, a thing with Amy Vitale's National Geographic photographer. She organized right. Nat Geo photographers. We all contributed prints for uh, to go to direct relief for medical assistance of the Ukraine. Amazing. And the print that was chosen of mine was a leaping ballerina in a kitchen. There's an older lady, Josie, who owns the house. It's a classic Havana house, yeah. a kitchen. And the ballerina is just improbably leaping in the air, and Josie is ignoring her reading a book. <laughs> well, why does that work? Uh, it just does yeah. because there's an oddity to it. And I always have, have gravitated towards that. I love it. So Joe, what's your desert Island Cameron? And so you're, you can only have one camera and one lens the rest of your life. What's it going to be? <laughs> well, well, I guess if I'm on a desert Island and well, certainly it's the Z nine, the Z nine is a phenomenal machine. Best camera I've ever used. Yeah. So smart. So adept, uh, in terms of technology, remarkable achievement. Uh, and I always tell photographers about the Z9. I said, every time you trigger the shutter here, man, we should buy the engineers a beer because um, <laughs> this thing's a beast. And uh, I don't know, the, that mid-range, it's nothing particularly exotic. You know, uh, if I was trying to capture passing ships, you know, I would go for a 600 F4, but, you know, um, figuring there's something on the island to photograph, I'd probably go for something like a, a 24 to 120. Right. The, the, the do-it-all lens. Yes. Yeah. 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 Listen, Joe, you've had an incredible career, and you've photographed some incredible people and places. Who, you know, I got to wonder, who or what is on your photography bucket list? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I have a lot of things I still want to do. I'm gearing up, um, even as we speak, for Paris in 24, the Olympics. And I think that's going to be uh, an extraordinary Olympics because hopefully it will have evolved out of this very strange Olympics of Tokyo yeah. during COVID times. And we will have, once again, people in the stands and athletes yeah. celebrating. And so I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm really keyed in on that. I, I really want to do that. That's a, a near-term bucket list thing to do for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're all looking forward to those days. <clears throat> Listen, Joe, I, I love in the end, there's, there's a lot about climbing over the safety rail and you use, there's a quote in there by the, the poet Seamus Haney and it's walk on air against your better judgment. Yeah, that's a pretty good summation of a photographic career, you know, because this is not a certain existence. It's yeah. not a straight line. Lots of peaks and valleys, probably more valleys than peaks, really. Yeah. And uh, love of art and craft and persistence are what see you through. And also, as Seamus, you know, in a very eloquent way said, you know, walk on air, you know, be optimistic. Think, imagine, dream. Yeah, I love it. Listen, Joe, the book is truly fantastic and, and really hard to put down. And you definitely are a great storyteller, both with your images and your words. And, and it really is truly fascinating to get a glimpse into the life and into your life as, as a working photographer. So I just want to thank you deeply for, for taking your time to share a little bit about that with us today here on the podcast. 
Well, thank you, Sean. I appreciate the invitation and, and great questions. And, uh, and this was a really fun conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much, Joe. Have a wonderful day. All right. You as well. Thanks. Bye. Thanks so much for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Joe McNally and his new book, The Real Deal, please check out the links in the show notes. This podcast is brought to you by Archipelago Presets, developers of innovative Lightroom presets and profiles that push the boundaries of creativity, helping you take your photography to the next level. Be sure to visit archipelagopresets.com and use the code PODCAST20 to save 20% on your next purchase. Thanks again. Until next time.